Accutron Watches present. From New York City, this is the Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture with your hosts, Bill McCuddy, Scott Alexander, and David Graver. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. And it's it's nice to get to play a part, you know, as their label. We're just augmenting what they do. So if they write a song, we'll just help them get it to more people. I mean, that's really, in its essence, what a record label should be doing these days is helping you reach as many people. The person you heard at the top of the show is today's guest, Jamie Krentz. He's the head of the iconic music label Verve Records. But first up, me, Bill McCuddy, along with culture writer Scott Alexander and editor David Graver. We're going to discuss everything that is jazz. Yes, jazz. So listen up, and we'll be right back with this episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned, daddy This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com, and discover our iconic Space View 2020 collection, recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design combined with an all-new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed again. The Accutron Space View 2020. Did you guys see La La Land? Oh, of course. Okay, great movie. Uh, John Legend and uh, Ryan Gosling are big jazz guys. And uh, Emma Stone says jazz belongs in elevators. And and, and I have to say that there's nothing more divided in the world when it comes to music. Contemporary jazz. But some people love jazz and some people don't love jazz. Jazz means something different to absolutely everyone. It's hard to define it very, very clearly. That's the whole point of jazz, man. Historically and contempt, it has been diluted and diluted. I don't know if you guys saw the the Tron reboot, but at one point he called them uh, bioelectrical jazz. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered where the Tron reboot was going with uh, with the jazz music. It could even be uh, AI software constructs. What is jazz jazz. to you? What is jazz to you? Uh, Freedom, freedom, musical freedom. You know, and I think that's what bothers a lot of people about it. Is is every time someone thinks they know what jazz is, someone comes along and goes like, "No, it's not." It's like that doesn't make sense. I I agree with that. I think it's improv. It's like what's punk? You know, it's the same thing. What's punk? Like punk is punk is pushing back and doing something and doing it yourself. Yes, like. Like Verve Records, like, like the label like itself, Verve and Records. and uh, the man who is behind discovering some of the biggest talents uh, in the music business for the last I don't know twenty or thirty years. And Verve is not you know a, a label that you'd heard of like Decca or RCA or anything like that, but they have a niche and they're very good at it. And we're going to hear a more niche about it. that has Elvis Costello on yeah, it. Well, okay, yeah. and right. Ella Fitzgerald and Nina Simone. Yeah, exactly. It's a wide <laughs> niche, is what I'm saying. As niches go, it's a pretty pretty <laughs> expansive one. Uh, yeah, I mean, we just do we are we buying music the same way we used to, and are we consuming it? Yes, the same Bill, way? we're buying music the same way we used to on yeah. cassette. Yeah. <laughs> cassettes are coming back. <laughs> no, no, cassettes are coming industry, back. Newsflash: the entire <laughs> right. music industry has been remade, Bill. Guys, I don't know if, where you've you been. Are, wait, do you guys remember eight track and how it would be in the middle of a song sometimes, and it would change tracks, like. Acre Winner's Frankenstein is going dun 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 dun, and there's this pause, and it goes, 
<laughs> that was the technology. I think I arrived with the onset of cassettes, so I yeah, think I'm... Probably. <laughs> this A-track thing is a little crazy for you. Um, but I just like that the A-track just kept going and going and going and going. That's just a, that was the neatest technology, the Mobius loop. It of, was a loop. Uh, yeah, exactly, but that's neat. Loop. That's better than a record. That's better than a, than a cassette. Do you listen to music? Are you playing music when you work? Uh, Not when I work. No. I, can't, I can't write to music, but um, I listen to it all the time. We should be playing some right now. I listen to jazz all the time, okay. to be perfectly honest. <laughs> well, we clearly have a lot of musical questions, and we will have them all answered on the Accutron Show when our guest Jamie Krentz joins us after this. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA, the new face of time for those who blaze new trails. Jamie, my first question is, do you ever not listen to music? Do you have a time when you can turn it off? Yes. Uh, yes. I, I, ironically, um, I, I, it, it, you'd be surprised. I do exercise, and I don't listen to music when I exercise, uh, which might explain the results. But uh, I try to listen to podcasts when I exercise, and the rest of my day I'm either talking about going to see – playing or listening to music. So it, it's a good question. The, the majority of my life is spent with some sort of music happening. Uh, and that's sort of oddly my sanctuary is those, the, you know, that rare half an hour when I exercise. Well, you know, we were talking about how we don't, some of us do and some of us don't listen to music while we're working. But is that, is that becoming less and less a thing or more and more a thing? Does the next generation listen to music when they're working? My sense is this generation, these these next generations, still listen to – music's being consumed more than ever. I think the difference is that sometimes for this generation it can be a bit peripheral. Like it's on but you're swiping on Instagram and you're, mm. you're doing 55 things at a time whereas uh, I'm I'm 46 and I still remember listening to music without another activity To happening. listen to right. so, That being the so primary it, thing that you were doing. Right, down, right, right. Look it, at the liner notes. That's and, my primary activity. Right now, I'm looking at the liner notes. Great point, and that's another thing that's missing is most of the digital service providers uh, don't provide the liner notes, so you don't have that thing where you're kind of oh, who's playing drums on? I mean, you know, there's a reason I didn't date much besides uh, what I looked like. (laughs) I was very obsessed with checking out who played on these records, who produced them, and then now it's so easy with you know the internet to then go down that rabbit hole. But back then, you you would make these little discoveries, and you say like, oh, the same drummer played on these two records, but they're completely different. Exactly, and and then similarly with labels, you know, you would say, oh, well, this logo when I see that Island Palm Tree for Island Records (laughs) or the Motown logo, now I feel like I can trust this as a brand, and I'm Mm going to go buy. If I see another one of these records, I might buy it just because I see the label logo, and I think that's something that was. Probably lost for a while. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say, but I think a lot of labels are getting back to that now. You know, I mean, really, you think that's been revived in, in the streaming era? There's a I, label consciousness. I, well, I don't know. Not 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 from looking at the streaming services. I mean, mm. not necessarily. You'd have to scroll down to the very fine print, you know, at Spotify or Apple to see what label uh, something right. is on. But I think there's an awareness of it. I think the labels have realized, including the label that I work for, we need to do a better job 
of having people understand the identity of something like a Verve Records. And right. I know I know my counterparts at Blue Note Records feel the same way. So there's a lot of cultivating of these brands right. uh, because the catalogs are actually quite coherent. If you just want to, you know, once you see that Verve logo, you kind of well, know you're going to get uh, that coherence. With integrity. Though, when something like Verve, you know, where you have Ella Fitzgerald and then the Velvet Underground, yes. That, that, those are pretty orthogonal. They are, but I think the thing that those people have in common, those artists have in common, is neither of them uh, were actually thinking about being commercial. Now, both of those mm. uh, artists have, you know, the Velvet Underground and Ella, what do they have in common? They're both icons. You know, they're both people that the music's timeless. It wasn't about chasing a trend. It wasn't about, you know, necessarily going for the most obvious commercial thing at the time. But the music's now survived decades and decades and decades. And so what we're finding, Mm -hmm. you know, the Verve catalog is so eclectic. You have Ella. You've got Louis Armstrong. But you've also got Frank Zappa. And the Velvet Underground, what's that through line? And I think part of the through line is, frankly, that they've survived. You know, and the music's timeless. And that's how we kind of explain it. And there are a lot of fans who like both. I mean, you know, obviously right. Lou Reed and Ella Fitzgerald might have but, the two. But chasing their vision primarily yeah. first. Yeah, and exactly. Then whatever happens after that. Exactly, happens, right? exactly. And it's, I think that's the. It's fascinating to hear you say that you don't listen to music while you're at the gym. Because I think all of us grew up at a time period where the album was the piece of music and we grew up listening to albums. Hmm. Now, through streaming services, and I know I'm not, I'm, I may be alone at this table thinking this. Music is for doing things. You go to Spotify and you type in gym playlist and <laughs> they sort for you. They are the gatekeeper. They are the barrier. They are the organizer. Right. Music, I or don't Or a guy named Jim or, list comes up and then you're screwed. Yeah. I don't think music is just for doing things, but I think Gen Z, I think millennials and Gen Z use music to do things, to concentrate, to... Accentuate soundtrack, or yeah, they, they definitely do, and that's been a great thing for us because we're always trying to figure out how to keep this music alive. You know, whether obviously we have a lot of living frontline artists that are great, but how do we keep people coming back to Nina Simone? How do we keep people coming back to Dinah Washington and Sarah Vaughn and Ella and Coltrane? And these kinds of playlists that you're describing, you know, working from home playlists yes. or yard work or you know, peaceful piano meditative playlists, like the the breadth of the Verve catalog. Is is such that there is a place we have something for almost all of these moments or these moods and that's actually been great for us as, as a method of discovery for for new new people you know young people but also you know there are people who are more of a pop fan but as they you know they get a little older they say you know i wouldn't mind something a little more relaxing you know so a label like verve uh you know has something for you because there's a lot of beautiful meditative lovely music and then if you want something really challenging and avant-garde we've got john coltrane you know things like that that are not necessarily for when you're trying to go to sleep uh, but there's a time and a place for all of it you know and yeah th- so that is a big method of discovery for us now are those mood-based or activity-based playlists yeah, you're right you're owned by universal yep and that gives you another sandbox you can play in a little bit so for example Recently, you said that uh, you pitched the idea of having a Velvet Underground, who were we talking about a moment ago, uh, a doc about them. And that's just coming out now and getting a lot of uh, – that's got to be incredible for somebody's catalog. It's it, – there's nothing like that. And and especially when, you know, you work for a company like Universal that is is staffed to see something through. So there not only do you have all these record labels – I mean, Universal's the biggest of all the major labels, so you have – Motown and Island and Interscope and Republic and Verve and Blue Note. But you also have these central departments. The Universal has a company called Polygram Entertainment, which is producing all these fantastic music.
music films, whether it's Ron Howard's Beatles movie or the mm-hmm. Amy Winehouse documentary that won an Oscar, the Velvet Underground film that we just, uh, you know, were a part a participant in. Um, it's been really great to have access to the funding, but also the expertise. You know, they've brought in people from the film world. So it's not people like me who work at a record label who really don't know anything about film. They actually have people who do know what they're talking about to help take these things from an idea to a reality. Who should we get to direct it? How do we make uh, amends with the Andy Warhol estate so we can cover that aspect of the Velvet Underground and those amazing album cover design, you know, things like that. And so that's the beauty of, you know, that's where it's very easy. I, I, you know, I was a musician, I played in bands and it's very easy to sort of think, oh, the major labels and it's so corporate and there is sometimes a stigma. But actually, I tend to think the positives really outweigh the negatives because you get access to that kind of thing. You know, you have the, the infrastructure and the scale and the global scale scale. I mean, so this Velvet Underground film that just came out um, is- With Todd is, Haynes. With Todd Haynes. I mean, we were able to get one of the great directors of the last 25 years to do this, who it turns out knows more about the Velvet Underground than anyone at Verve. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, we were You're able fired. to- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, <laughs> again. Um, but, it, uh, you know, also to be able to take that all over the world, to take it to the Cannes Film Festival, you know, to take it there. That's, that's really, I think, one of the things that still sets these bigger companies apart is they really are global. I mean, Universal is such a global. The head of yeah. Universal is an English. English guy, um, you know, who lives now in California, but it, it's a big company. But we like to think that Verve embodies sort of the best of both worlds. We still have sort of a boutique. Mm-hmm. In, you know, Verve was started as an independent label by yeah. a guy named Norman Granz, uh, you know, because his client, Ella Fitzgerald, he didn't feel like she had a fair record deal. So he started Verve as an independent label, um, you know, and, and it went through many iterations. But I think we try to hang on to that spirit, entrepreneurial, independent, mm-hmm. again, not so hung up on trends and what is, you know, particular. If we chased what was totally commercial, they, you know, we, Universal doesn't need that from us. Universal's got tons of top 10 pop music. We're, we're, we're here to serve a different need. No, I completely buy that, like, you actually having that throw weight um, in, in the industry for music to really thrive in the current media landscape, which is so overpopulated, you know, there's so much choice. Um, and I really, music is so close to my heart. I want to see it survive and thrive. So I, I buy that, that the, you need a big force and a big presence to really move the needle there. Is it still possible though for those little, for the truly independent labels that might be just starting up? Or do they have a shot even in this new landscape? I think they do. You know, I mean, one, one of the things that used to differentiate labels was distribution. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the draw of being on a major label used to be we had these big semi-trucks and we could put your records and tapes and then <laughs> CDs on these trucks and drive them to, you know, the Sam Goodies and the Tower Records and the HMVs. And obviously that's not, what it, this, <laughs> that's, that's not what it's all about today. I mean, anyone with mm-hmm. a laptop can make a record and distribute it. And so these labels, I think they do have a shot. I think, again, what, what, there's more music now than ever. I think part of the problem we have is what's the filter? I mean, you right. know, like there used to be, well, there were, you know, X number of radio stations. There was MTV and VH1. There were a couple magazines, you know, that read Rolling Stone. And now it's like if you were to go on Instagram or Spotify or Pandora, there's a billion new songs every day. Right. Well, and is that bad? I mean, is it no. making bad musicians popular? No, I don't think so. I, I, no, I don't think so at all, actually. I think, I think what it does is I think it levels the playing field. And what's interesting is that we still find that for a lot of these artists that maybe start out independently, start out with no label, start out just going viral on TikTok, that they still want ultimately to partner with a label, you know, a major label, because they see that 
this is great. I got my foot in the door. I've got a million followers. But what does it really mean? If I went on, if I went and tried to play Madison Square Garden, you know, not during a pandemic, how many tickets would I actually, how many of these people would actually show up? Because that's, that's what we look for sometimes is you can have gaudy uh, social media numbers, but does it translate to a real audience that's going to stay with you, that's going to buy every album, that's going to buy your expensive concert ticket, that's going to buy the t-shirt at the concert? And so I think a lot of them find that partnering with a label, with a real label, still is the key to kind of get from that sort of viral curiosity, YouTube phenomenon, whatever, to actually having a, a sustainable career, you know, where it's going to be about more than one song. I read about music every single day of my life. And in that instance, infrastructure helps. Music publicists help break through. I can be on SoundCloud for four hours every single day and find one song. But if I'm getting organized PR emails from labels, I know where to start my morning after I look at stereo gum and pitchfork. Exactly. I know exactly. There's, there's, these, to... They're gatekeepers and they're still relevant. I mean, you know, with all these terms, that influence. I didn't know what an influencer was. I'm busy looking ago. up SoundCloud. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, these people do serve a, a great function, which is that you still know that if they bother to write about it um, in the New Yorker or stereo gum or pitchfork or even the Atlantic. I mean, it's an, it, the, the thing that's interesting is that it's not just music outlets. You know, it used to be you go to Rolling Stone. It's lifestyle. You, yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the New Yorker and the Atlanta, the Wall Street Journal has become a fantastic place to learn about music. They actually have a great art section. You know, I mean, these things have changed, and it's important to acknowledge. And, and I'm that. pretty sure Vampire Weekend is a clothing brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so. I mean, they they probably sold more clothing than records in the last five years. You know, it's just concert shirts and things like. That. Is there any money in the business anymore? I mean, you mentioned the big trucks that had albums. We were talking about cassettes and eight tracks, and and before you came in, and and I just wonder what's the thing? If the delivery device is my laptop, are we? Are you guys making any money? We are. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that, again, these big companies like Universal has, we have a fantastic catalog. So if we were only reliant on what the record I put out last week has sold over these few days, would that be a model that supports, you know, a 45-person label in a big, you know, building in Midtown? Um, not necessarily. But one of the things that has made Universal uh, such a good company is that the amount of catalog. I mean, if I were to say Universal, I wouldn't just be talking about Verve. I'd be talking about the catalogs, and I, I won't go on and on, but the Beatles, the Stones, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Andrea Bocelli. I mean, it run, you know, Def Jam. It's all over the map. And so it's the aggregate of all of it, and it's, it's, it's a cycle. It's sustaining. And those things, that amazing catalog allows us to take chances on new artists because mm -hmm. maybe it won't be that first album, you know, for, for your band. If I signed your band today, I don't know how rich we'd You're all get. you my band yeah, today? Well, you know. <laughs> I told but you guys. Everyone told you. in this room has a band. Yeah. The guy <laughs> over there, the guy sitting there. You're um, a bassist. You're a bass player. Yeah. Yeah, I you am. You played with Carano and M. Ward, two of my faves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Two of my favorites, too. Um, I started out as a, as a musician, and I was actually in a band that was on Universal. Um, but I always had an equal interest in the other side of it, you know, and I'm probably on, given my actual level of talent, I'm probably on the right side of it now. Um, <laughs> as far as, I don't know how talented I am at, at being a, a record executive, but I, I was a good but not amazing bass player. I still play a little bit, but, I, but it, it, it allows me, to, I think, to keep a little bit of perspective, you know, because ultimately... We, we aren't the artist. You know, the mm -hmm. artists are the one who come to, to a company like Verve and they have a statement to make and they have a collection of songs. And so it's healthy, I think, sometimes to still vaguely remember what, what that's like and, and, you know, have well, some perspective. When you talk about breaking new artists, I mean, back in the day, you think of A&R guys and going out to clubs and all that whole 
radio station. Thing, yeah. Is is when you're doing this big filter across this new media landscape, how is that different today? We still go out to see shows. I mean, obviously, the last year and a half has been a bit wow. of a uh, right. aberration, but. Um, for a label like ours that that is is still mostly about really organic artists and artists who who are writing their own songs and um, you know which isn't the way it is for every label right. um, but our focus is still largely in those genres we need to know that you're good live so we do go see people mm -hmm. before we sign them we like to meet you we like to see how you sound live because right. that is a big part of breaking an artist for the, for these you know Verve is very focused on just a couple of genres these days but all of them. That I, that I and I would you know jazz, uh, for lack of a better term, sort of indie alternative rock mm -hmm. and singer songwriters. All of those artists need to be great live. They Jamie, you are great live. We have a flip side here. We're going to turn it over. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, is anybody buying jazz? I'm still dubious. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, what makes a great new artist and how you go out and find one. Uh, all this on the Accutron Show when we return. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our legacy collection. Reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s, the legacy collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for the future. Jamie, welcome back. We were talking before you got here about how divisive jazz can be. Some people seem to hate it, and some people seem to love it. We, I brought up La La Land, the movie that mm -hmm. uh, with John Legend, and and I just think some people th think it's tremendous. And are they? Is it a hard? Are they wrong? Category? Yeah. <laughs> and is it a hard category to sell? It can be. I mean, I think I think that you know, jazz is probably in a better place now than it was for the first fifteen years I worked at Verve. Um, there's a guy named Kamasi Washington who's oh, not yeah. a Verve artist. He's so the I'm, best. I'm He's totally, a fine artist. Totally <laughs> objective here. Um, who came along, you know, five or six years ago and had incredible commercial success with music. That if you had asked anybody going into it, is this guy going to sell a lot of records? I mean, he was playing instrumental. What, what is often referred to as spiritual jazz, you know, music that I think is very in the tradition of Impulse Records and John mm -hmm. Coltrane. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's challenging music. It's beautiful, but it's very intense. It's not, you know, it's not Ella Fitzgerald singing, you know, Dream a Little Dream. Yeah. And uh, amazingly, it, it got traction. And he ended up playing all, you know, Coachella and all of the big rock festivals mm -hmm. because the intensity of the performance was just as compelling as, you know, somebody going to see the Arcade Fire or, you know, one of the great Queens of the Stone Age. I mean, it's really, it's just as visceral. And so in the wake of that, there have been a number of artists. We have one, so I, now I will be biased, uh, a guy named Shabaka Hutchings out of London. There was a great scene that developed in London with this guy, Shabaka Hutchings, and he has several groups. Um, and similarly, it gets nominated for, you know, mainstream awards. So it has helped get jazz to a place. I know you're, you get the question, which is, is there really a business there? And how do these artists survive? I mean, again, all these artists still have to tour relentlessly. And it's been very hard for jazz musicians the last year and a half. And there have been a number of charities that acknowledge that because 
without the live side, most of the artists can't live off of the sale of their music or the streaming of their music. And often small, tight clubs yep. where everybody's, the and band's right next to each e other. Exactly, exactly. Like, it did not lend itself well to yeah. COVID. Um, and multiple sets a night, and exactly. Thankfully, that's come back a bit, you know, over the last mm. few months in, in the major cities. I mean, in London, you know, they're a little bit more out and about even than we are here in New York. But that, the, the, the ecosystem for jazz is pretty strong. Plus, this network of festivals. You know, I, I know you know these iconic festivals, the Montreal Jazz Festival, the Montreux Jazz Festival, uh, Vittoria, Umbria, uh, Monterey in California, Newport, the great founder of the Newport Jazz Festival. Bigger George than Wien, ever. I mean, doing great. Doing okay. great. And, and, you know, still yeah, There's an intensity to jazz fans. Like when there are fans, then they're really no, no, serious. Yeah. That. It's a yeah. fevered crowd. So <laughs> but, it's, it's but, yes you, no. but you are right that, you know, jazz does not stream at the same <laughs> cadence that like uh, uh -huh. Olivia Rodrigo or uh -huh. uh, Billie Eilish, you know, who are getting hundreds of millions and billions of streams. And that hasn't happened for jazz. Um, and that is what we need to have happen so that right. these people don't Although have to Although I would say, someone, uh, an artist like Billie Eilish, you hear a little jazz in She her. loves you jazz. You can hear huge yeah. jazz influences in and the way she And she's such writes. a good singer. I mean, yeah. I think, I think you know, sometimes at Verve, we, we like to get a little arrogant and talk about, you know, if again, if you're drawing that line between the artists we have now, Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, but all the way through, you know, we have Diana Krall. Mm -hmm. uh, we have an artist named Tank from Tank and the Bengas. What do these people have in common? They have great voices. And Billie yeah. Eilish is right there. I mean, I think yeah. the people sometimes underrate or gaga, yeah. like how good these artists are as singers. I mean, it, you know. It's, and talk about live, like there's yeah. those, those tiny desk things, there's things where it's unadorned, it's not running through a computer. And you can and tell. Like, oh, right. You can, you can really yeah, do yeah. it. And so yeah. I think, but I, yes, I, there's a jazz influence in a lot of this music. You know, there's a guy named Thundercat who collaborates with Kendrick yeah. Lamar. Yeah, amazing. I mean, the jazz, it's not hard to find the jazz in, in the art, great artists like that, Anderson Pack, you know, people like that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like a steward for the reputation of jazz as much as you do for the legacy of all of these artists that you have on your roster? Uh... I don't know if I've ever thought about it that, that way. It'd probably give me a panic attack. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I, w I will say that, you know, we take the legacy of Verve really seriously. You know, what we don't, you, you don't want to be, I've worked at Verve for a long time and, and, and in the role that I have now, I wouldn't want it to be. And then when that guy had the role he had, they signed a bunch of, you know, unlistenable music or it really the mm -hmm. quality just went down. You know, most of the Verve music, even from the last 20 years, uh, you, you can stand behind. You know, I feel like we've continued to build a catalog. So I do feel some responsibility just to make sure that we don't um, take our eye off the ball of that, again, that integrity that if you were to try to talk about what all these are, you know, as a disparate group of artists, what do they have in common? Yes. I think that it's, you know, it's music that most people will agree didn't compromise, you know, and I think that's what we try to stick to. So what do you look for in a new artist? Well, we look again, we look across a couple of genres. If it's jazz, you know, I'm very interested in, uh, when you look at jazz, for a long time, jazz has been about jazz standards. You know, you hear that phrase. In fact, there's a club called the Jazz Standard. Um, what does that mean? It means songs that have become so woven into the fabric of the American musical landscape that they're literally standards. That is mm -hmm. the standard by which future songs are judged. And it's great to be able to interpret standards. And some of the great, Ella was one of the great interpreters. I mean, you know, she mm -hmm. the, the Cole Porter songbook, you know, is one of the seminal pieces of recorded music. But I, I'm so interested in finding young jazz musicians who are good composers, who aren't just relying on playing standards, but are writing what might be tomorrow's standards. And those could be instrumental or they could be vocal, you know, so that when we look at jazz, I really love 
artists who have their own voice as a composer. They're, the the level of playing, I mean, it's a good thing I am not relying on my bass playing now because the level of mm. technique that musicians have now, you know, we call them YouTube phenomenons, but there are drummers that, you know, they, they, some of them, they look like they're an octopus or something. And they're 12. And they're 12, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So they're, that, it's not so much about how great your chops are mm -hmm. as much as it is do you have a statement, do you have something people will listen to because the melody is so good, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, the same reason people still listen to the Beatles and will forever. So in jazz, I look for that. And then we also were very, in, you know, uh, focused on, again, what I would call rock music. You know, people may be inspired by the Velvet Underground. We signed a guy named Kurt Vile, you know, who's oh, one, yeah. of the great, great. one of the great um, rock artists of today, in my opinion. Um, and we signed him because same thing. I just think he does his own thing. I don't think he sounds he like He really has else. his own thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I saw a show uh, he did with Courtney Barnett at The Beacon. Right. Where, and it, that the album they did together is so chill. But it's also this sort of relentless sort of driving thing, but it's really chill. And I got up to use the restroom at one point. And I looked back at the at the whole and the entire place is just sitting in their chairs like with this kind of like <laughs> blown back intent, like laid back, but also lean forward. It's, it's undescribable. Oh, you know? Max I mean, take. It's really commercial. Yeah, it's like, like that, except it's, chair, it's right, not yeah. the Queens of the Stone Age. It's not knocking you back no, over. It's no, very it's a chill, different, different but way. it's like it's got a... Intensity. Yeah, it's there intensity is a relaxed type. intensity. Yeah. yeah. So you know, with those kinds, of, with you know, with the rock bands or the or those artists that we look at, or the singer songwriters, it's the same thing. Just that's a very congested space. I mean, there are more people with an acoustic guitar, you know, than mm. ever singing, you know, uh, emotional songs. How do you stand out? You know, why why occasionally do these artists come along? You know, like. Bright Eyes or Phoebe Bridgers, you know, they just rise above everyone else. And it's because they really are great songwriters and, and singers. So we we just try to, again, to find someone who's going to who's going to have their own lane, you know, and not just get filed under, oh, yes, another Bob Dylan wannabe, mm -hmm. you know, or anything like that. One of our lanes of interest is always the influence of the 1960s when the Accutron watch was introduced and how it's influenced uh, a lot of disciplines, but in your case, music. Do you hear the 60s sometimes when you listen to a new artist or an old artist? Do you go, oh, that's got a Beatles thing, or that's doing a riff from... Stan Getz. Stan, or, yeah, or Stan yeah. Getz, or yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think... I think sometimes we talk, in, especially when we're talking about jazz, we talk a lot about the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. But the 60s were such, that was a fulcrum for jazz. You know, you had people starting to get very experimental. You had Coltrane doing Love Supreme. You had Miles starting to get Miles electric, you know, woke, exactly. Yeah. And so, I, yes, I absolutely do. I mean, I think there was a, a fearlessness that came in in the 60s. And, and I don't know much about, about the, the, the watch uh, world, but I do know that design in general got very brave. And I think a lot of music did and I do hear that um, there, a lot of the artists we work with I think if you were to like forensically go through their record collection I think you'd see the 60s very well represented a lot of ways that that's an entry point for younger listeners to go back in time for me it was the strokes I grew up with the strokes and initial reviews where it's so derivative and I, I loved the strokes so much I thought derivative of what so I found the kinks and the clash and television and I had my own musical odyssey because of their reference to the strength of the past, and because this band I loved was considered tired by <laughs> by all these old guys when I was right. listening to it, but I mean, that's that is what happens. Like that right. is what happens, right? No, they were the you know, for lack of a better term, the gateway drug back to a lot of that. You know, in conjunction with uh, the Todd Haynes film, Verve released this um, a tribute album 
where we redid the Velvet Underground and Nico, the first album, but with modern artists. So we had everybody from Courtney Barnett and Kurt to um, King Princess to St. Vincent to, you know, to all of these artists, each doing one song. We did, you know, we, we had them literally go track by track. Uh, we had, but it wasn't just uh, artists from that generation. We had Iggy Pop do a track. Um, and the point of doing that, again, was to use some of these younger active artists to maybe steer people back and say, well, if you like the Strokes, you should really check out, you know, Talking Heads and television and Tom Petty. And, um, you know, it doesn't take anything away from the Strokes to say that everyone's got influences. I'm Indeed, sure the design yeah. of these watches uh, had some influence, you know, from a previous generation. And, and actually, it's funny. I was I was when I knew I was coming here to do this, I did a little looking around to see if there was a strong tradition of, you know, appreciation of fine watches in jazz. And one of the things I noticed actually uh, was there are uh, so many web pages and things about the watches that Miles Davis, who was you know an icon of style, or Ella Fitzgerald even, you know, in her beautiful dresses at the Hollywood Bowl, you know, that they, this was not an accident. These people were very, very careful about their imaging. Louis Armstrong, um, Dizzy Gillespie, Cindy and Michelle. we have a musical tie-in, Tuning Fork, right Tuning there in the watch. Around. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you have vinyl at home? I do. I do. In fact, during the pandemic, I have probably done more vinyl shopping than I should. You know, you sort of, uh, <laughs> because I've, I've beefed up my home vinyl collection a lot. Uh, everyone has their pandemic. Uh-oh. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, Does Verve still pump it out? We do. I mean, one of the big challenges we have at the moment is the vinyl uh, renaissance has been so strong that the plants that are left are struggling to keep up with the demand. I mean, oh. it's a it's the most amazing problem to have. You know, I mean, it would be like, you well, know, what like percentage of the plants are, are gone? Uh, compared to when? Compared to the, the, the height? height yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know the exact number. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, we, we, Universal was pretty out of that business. Um, mm -hmm. And they're, the good news is the ones that are left are very good because they stayed, didn't stay in it because right. it was a cash cow. They stayed in it because right. they love vinyl and the sound of vinyl. Um, but yeah, there's a huge emphasis on vinyl now. Um, and, Do you have any 8-tracks? No, we don't have any 8-tracks. <laughs> Always we did, with the 8-track. We did do a reel-to-reel. Uh, really? Recently on a on a John Coltrane reissue, which which I thought was very cool. I Fifteen think we, inches uh, per second. Yeah, I think we sold two. Really? Yeah, but you know, it was a <laughs> selfishly. Uh, but but that that you know, listen, there is it's just a that, fun artifact to have. Exactly, and it just looks so great. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's absolutely yeah. So it's it's but the, but vinyl is. I don't think vinyl's going anywhere, and I'm very happy about that. You know, it's it's great. Again, that that tactile representation of the music. Well, we could do this all day. Yeah. This is like uh, this is like my favorite FM radio show that you would tune in drive. By the way, what are the five presets on your? Do you have a car? I do have a car. It's funny. I'm trying to think, but I don't really listen to the radio. You know, I I'm the worst. That's person your to time. Ask. No music time. No, oh, I, no God, I, you know, you. I actually really like to listen to the music that we're working on now. You oh, know, okay. some of the records that are in progress, mm. um, because the car. You know, I mean, I'm sure you guys feel the car is such a great place to listen to music, yeah. and and uh, so I don't I don't really have a good answer for that. I do I listen to satellite radio sometimes, but I don't. Where's have a that good going? One. Where's all the streaming going? Is there is there gonna it, when the dust settles? Is there only gonna be a Spotify? Or are there going to be ten or fifteen of those? Like I don't. I don't I, my my sense is that is that it won't be there won't be a monopoly. I think I think they they've they've each got their own personality and the interfaces are so different. I mean, like you know, it's sort of like if you're someone who likes using Spotify and you try to use Apple Music, it feels very difficult, and vice versa. I Agreed. think people get very comfortable tripped with, up by the interface, right? They so I think I think luckily because they each have these other lives. I mean, Apple's obviously a great software and hardware company, and Amazon is where you might be buying your groceries, but you can also stream music there. I think a lot of them have 
have kind of they've each got their own church. Um, and, and so I don't I don't really see one of them putting the others out of business. I mean, we we find that they're very different. They're very different to deal with. And they have a, some of them have a very different consumer base. And also some of them are more popular in certain parts of the world. So a lot of them have a good may have a great foothold in Asia and not be as meaningful here. Uh, but I don't I don't see any sign that they can't all thrive because that is obviously the way people are. I mean, even if you have vinyl like I do, I still stream a lot of music. I'm not I'm pretty lazy, so I'm not always going to get up and <laughs> flip the vinyl over. Well, know? vinyl is it's active. That's one really wonderful piece uh, about it that you have to. It's a very intentional way of listening. Yeah, exactly. You're not just like, oh, it's streamed and it went to the next song. And well, and you I'm... know that that's the sequence that the artist wanted you to hear the songs in. And yeah, so you yeah. know it's actually very it, intentional is a great word. I mean, and there's you know, exercise involved. You have to get up and turn it over. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Do you make playlists? Do you share playlists? Not really. No. I. You know. Again. I mean. I'm. I probably should. Uh, but I don't. And I also don't use like Pandora. You know. I, I know some people love to go on that adventure where it kind of takes you around. And um, again, because I. I'm lucky. I have a job where I get to listen to music all the time, and people are sending me a lot of music. I don't. I don't feel as inclined to do that. I'm pretty. I'm pretty focused on it, but I do, I get the value of that, and I have a lot of friends who do that. I just, I don't. I used to make mixtapes, but I, I think I retired. I still do. It's like a relationship yeah. tool. I mean, well, it was, it was great. So, so these that. are forms of artificial intelligence that are making sort of playlists and, and sound-alike stuff and the musical DNA. Uh, there's been a little bit of experimentation with artificial intelligence for writing, which right. makes me very scared <laughs> as a writer. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's ever going to get there with music? I don't know. Um, you know, I'm so far away from that at a label like Verve. Uh, there, the, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about, mm -hmm. and I've I've seen some demos of it, I, but I don't, I don't know. It, it, it so far, no. So I far, think, it's yeah, not there. We I, can yeah. definitively say no one's done it yet in a way yeah. that's convincing. Or, I, you know, I, but even what Vocaloid has done right. recently, like it sounds much more like a human voice, programmable human voice now than it used to. Yeah, I mean, I, li listen. But I, I mean, the composition piece. I probably something will break through from from that origin, right. but I I don't know. Again, Spooky. It's so it's the antithesis of what I'd probably think Verve would be interested in. Uh, but I, I right. just, I, you know, at this point, it's like my phone turns on my air conditioner, so I don't, right. I can't count anything out. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know. Hey, we started this conversation talking about, or you said that record labels are going to have to step up a little more and say who they are and identify themselves. Uh, let's finish on where you'll be in five years, where or ten years, where will Verve be, and how will we think of it? You know, I, I'd like to think that we'll be uh, on a very coherent, extended journey from where we are now. You know, one, we'll still be very much in jazz. I think sometimes people see things like, oh, Verve signed Kurt Vile, or Verve's working with this amazing group, Tank and the Bangas, who are like, you know, have a, a foot in hip hop and a foot in, you know, spoken word. Are they still doing jazz? But, uh, you know, we've, we've done great with jazz over the last few years, to your question. You know, Verve jazz has been very good for Verve, modern jazz. But I do think it's important that just as Verve continued to evolve in the 60s, that this, you know, we talked about this decade, when Verve realized that they didn't just have to keep doing jazz, and that's when they signed, you know, got this amazing guy, this guy named Tom Wilson, who was an African-American guy from Texas who went to Harvard in the 50s, which is actually pretty unusual enough as it was, then went on to Columbia Records, 
produced Bob Dylan, signed Simon and Garfunkel, and then went to Verve, and he helped reinvent Verve, and he was the one who brought in the Velvet Underground, Frank Zappa, Richie Havens, and he basically acknowledged that jazz is no longer the pop music as it had been in the 40s and the 50s, and it was important to, you know, be an organism that continues to uh, evolve, and I think we've, I'd like to think in five years we'll basically be doing that same thing, where whatever the version of that is in five years, where we're not trying to compete with um, these amazing pop labels like Columbia or Capitol or Atlanta. I mean, there's a lot of these labels. Even within Universal, there's a lot of them. And Verve has its own path. And so I think we, it'll be an extension of that. Artists of integrity, artists with a point of view, and artists who are making records that, you know, again, will become catalog favorites for decades. That's, that's, the, that's our model is we, we are constantly building a catalog. One of the things we were talking about the 60s that's always influenced music has been politics. Is that as true today as it was 40, 50 years ago? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, the, the connection between music and the social justice uh, issues of the last few years is very strong. And, you know, I think one thing that's great about the way music uh, is made today is it can be very immediate, you know, and you, you don't have to wait for a vinyl record to be pressed and put on the truck. And, you know, if, you, if something happens and you want to react to it in real time as an artist, you can do that. You can get on your laptop and you can, we, you know, we can help you get a song out in a week. Um, and mm. so I think, if anything, the way technology uh, has, has evolved, at the, especially for us at, at, at the labels, we can help you make your statement, whether it's about you know, race relations or uh, an election or whatever it is, and we can get it out there quickly. You know, there's, there, isn't, there isn't that delay. So, yeah, and I see a lot of our artists, you know, again, sometimes they just want to go on their Instagram right now and say something or sing something or play something. So I, I don't feel like it's, it's any less uh, of a, a – I don't, I don't feel like there's any less of these sort of intentional statements being made by artists. And it's, it's nice to get to play a part, you know, as their label. We're just augmenting what they do. So if they write a song, we'll just help them get it to more people. I mean, that's really, in its essence, what a record label – should be mm -hmm. doing these days is helping you reach as many people. So whether you're writing a love song or whether you're making a political statement, we can help you amplify it, you know, and I think, and amplify it quickly. So yeah. We are in a new era of protest anthem and 2020 was a really exemplary year of powerful songwriting from a diverse roster of like creatives. Yeah, absolutely. We work with an artist named John Batiste, you know, who a lot of, a lot of people know. He's had an amazing year. Um, you know, and he, he was very vocal, especially in the summer of 2020, um, you know, in the wake of George Floyd being killed. Um, and it was really, I mean, it sounds, I hope it doesn't sound corny. It was really an honor to just be his partner as he wanted to go out there. He had a song called We Are that he wanted to get out right away. He was leading peaceful protests in Washington Square Park, you know, and doing these sort of New Orleans-style marches up the streets with instruments. And, you know, again, the record label, we're, we're really there to be his partner and to help him when he has these statements to make, help get them out there. You know, if he has a recording of it, let's make it available. Let's make it so you can stream it right away. And and I and he's only one of, of many artists who had something to say in that moment. We had an artist who, in the first three months of quarantine, wanted to make an album about being in quarantine. And he released the first one uh, named uh, Andara, who's a great artist we have from Kenya. Um, and same thing. We were able to, you know, put it out. He took photo. He had a friend come over and take photos from six feet away and you can get it out there quickly. We're not beholden to the old ways of having to wait 12 months to get something out You there. also just mentioned New Orleans, which is a noted hub of musical inspiration. Does the world function in the same way with regard to music where a city becomes an epicenter or has it become more democratized globally? 
Uh, no, I, I love. I, that's a great question. I, I think we've benefited a lot from some of these very targeted scenes. You know, you brought up New Orleans. I mean, right now on the Verve roster, beyond Louis Armstrong, you know, I mean, we, we, we could talk for two hours about Louis Armstrong, but we have Harry Connick Jr., John Batiste, Tank and the Bangas. I mean, we have three of our, our, our big artists are all from that same, and very, all three very different, but they're friends and they know each other and they're very much the product of that great scene in New Orleans, which has been vibrant even through the hurricanes and things like that. And similarly, what I referred to um, with this guy Shabaka Hutchings came out of this very vibrant East London loft party jazz scene that produced him, uh, a woman named Nubaya Garcia who records for Concord, you know, real, again, some of tomorrow's stars of jazz came out of these very identifiable, geo-targeted scenes. But it so sounds like they are like creating this fertile ground in their, that, that, that's very much an alive thing, that artists need other artists to kind of develop. You said that perfectly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they, they still need fertile ground from which to come. You know, mm -hmm. they support it, you know. And that music. can only happen really in person. Yep, and then it can only happen, and again, these are cities that might still have music in schools, which is really important for this kind mm -hmm. of music. And so a lot of these artists that probably wouldn't have made it to where they are if they hadn't had uh, the ecosystem around them. You know, and then they come up, and then they end up making these great records, but also statements. I mean, a lot of the artists I just mentioned have extremely political, um, active political views, and it, and, it, and it comes out in their music. So, you know, Verve, Verve, and Verve has a great history of, of supporting. Nina Simone made some of the great musical political yeah, statements indeed. of all time, but so did John Coltrane. You know, John Coltrane's Alabama about the, about the bombing of, of, you know, a black church. Um, Charlie Hayden's Liberation Music Orchestra, which was a seminal recording on Impulse. You know, that's another, you know, I think you asked about where would these labels be in five years. It's important that these labels, I mean, I mean, who knows if I'll even still be there, but these labels will continue to help these artists have a voice because that's part of why you would want to be on a big global label, to have that big platform, and it's not just about selling your music. You might, have, you might actually have something to say. You'll still be there because you are a great voice for Verve, and we have enjoyed having you on the Accutron Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Accutron Show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch and subscribe to our podcast. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time.